following podcast may contain some adult language. You've been warned. Those of you who got an invite, welcome to NerdProm. <laughs> no matter where in the world you are, we're all NERDS International. With the hyphen. To Finding the Narrative, a Genesis RPG podcast. This is a show dedicated to the Genesis role-playing system from Fantasy Flight Games. A show in which we, your hosts, discuss all things Genesis from both the player's and a GM's perspective. I am Tony Fanning, and with me as always, my good friend and co-host, Chris Holmes. How are you doing, homie? Oh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing really good today. Um, yeah. Did your Vikings play today? Yeah, they lost. Oh. They lost to the Patriots a little while ago. Dang it. Oh. It wasn't even... Well, it was close, but not really. Nah. But at least the Packers lost and the Bears lost. Packers head coach got fired, too. That's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool for a, for a Minnesota for a Vikings fan. fan. For a Vikings yeah. fan. <laughs> yeah. But sorry to all you fans out there. Not really. <laughs> but... <laughs> We love all of our fans, even the Packer fans, except yeah, Chris. Do. He doesn't. No, it's okay. I'm Minnesota nice. Yeah, we like them all. We like all of you. Uh, there's yeah. only ten of them anyway. <laughs> true, true, true. Not very, <laughs> not very popular, but... Oh, man. I want a game, but I'm going to on Tuesday. Yeah? Oh, yeah. That's your yeah, news for this week. Tell me my, about it. Yeah, my news for this week since... Fantasy Flight isn't giving us any any info. Um, well, they did give us the Terranoth cards, uh, or the sorry, the Star Wars adversary cards coming this week. They announced those, more of them. Well, that's true. Yet, an, yeah, an, the other, the other, um, what do you call it? The older brother narrative system, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. The Star those Wars. Those are system. very easily reskinned for a for a fan, uh, Genesis game. You know, good thing you brought that up because yeah, those those are. I mean, you really could use. Any of those packs and reskin them to really whatever setting you want. I mean, you really could, right? I mean, uh, I've used stormtroopers for regular bolo guards before. So <laughs> oh, nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah, but so my so my news. So there's so my buddy um, Matt Stark um, went ahead and sent a put a post up on May the Mayways earlier this week. Um, tagging me on it saying hey chris check this out and there's this website called legends of the galaxy um in multiple cities not just here in the twin cities but they have an event at the fantasy flight gaming center tuesday night from at like 6 30 p.m till 10 called discovery on jakku rise of the resistance and you can sign up for it and create a character and go play so i'm gonna do that so um, I think that they're at they're in the season three where you could create a night level character. So probably gonna make my uh, Proximo Meridius again. And I know you said you like that name, so <laughs> yeah, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, my if my um my buddies down in Orlando are listening to this, yes, Proximo will be back. I'm gonna remake him again and see. So be a guardian, a Twi'lek guardian peacekeeper. 
So, should be fun. Should be kind of fun. Looking forward to that. And I'll let you guys know how it is. How it goes. Cool. In yeah. in two weeks, we'll hear how it went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, it looks like it's a full table, too. Like five people there. They had like five slots open. And um, yeah, so awesome. Looks we got a full week of G- full week of gaming coming up. I mean, honestly, you got Tuesday night, you got there. Then yep. Wednesday night, you got my Star Wars game. Yep. And then Saturday night, you're playing my Terranoth game. Hopefully. Absolutely. And then Thursday night, I'm running um, on the RPG Brewery, the second session of Jewel of Yavin. And then um, Friday night, I'm playing I'm I'm playing Hrothgar, I'm a little halfling barbarian in five, fifth edition D and D. Jeez, buddy, you got a full week. <laughs> yeah, dropping my wife yeah. off at the my dropping my wife off at the airport on Tuesday. What else am I gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Very nice. I know. Well, and listener feedback. Uh, I just picked one piece because it was rather lengthy. Uh, it's from our good friend Matt Madak eighty three Grunswick. He says, "Greetings, Chris and Tony. First of all, I'd like to say thank you for the time, effort, and sacrifice." of many a drink to bring your love of Genesis to the rest of us. And to that, I say cheers. I'll drink to that. Cheers. I'll drink to that too, but I have a diet barks. Sorry, but I am drinking the root of the beer. So, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, uh, he says second, I would love some constructive criticism on my stopgap race stats until FFG puts out stats for this race. I am including a paste of FFG's flavored text for the race. For the race. Okay. Uh, the race is called the Orukusai or Orukasai. Sorry. Depending. Um, <laughs> right. Their uh, their little blurb that they had on the card for the character in the Descent game. Oh, okay. Uh, That's where that is. is okay, cool. Yep. Is in the oldest chronicles and the most recent tales, one can find allusions to a mysterious race of woolly and secretive creatures known as the Arukasai. Mm-hmm. Uh, though their might is unparalleled, it is their genuine love for battle that makes them coveted allies. Some see them as harbingers of doom. Others, as noble guardians, regardless of what people think, one thing is known. Whenever a Rukasai appears, trouble is never far behind. Oh, I want to play this race. Holy crap, dude. So <laughs> That sounds great. He sent us some stats yeah. um, that he has come up with thus far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so he's got uh, brawn of three, agility of two, intellect of one, cunning of one, willpower, and presence of two. All good stats. Yeah. Uh, st- starting XP of 90, wound mm-hmm. threshold of 14 plus brawn, okay. strength, strain threshold of 8 plus willpower, mm-hmm. starting skills is one rank in brawl, okay. and then gives them large size with a special, and this is where he was like really asking for our help, right, right, uh, right. either a version of this ability from the Descent game when you can kill an enemy and recover fatigue or strain, or something along the lines of Iron Bounds ability, the Iron Bounds ability that lets them use a two-handed weapon one-handed, but still need the melee heavy skill with it. Um, Allowing for a character to literally dual wield two heavy weapons. Cool. Um, My two big points that I would love to hear your advice on are the size and the special ability. My thought process in general for the, my stats on the race were to do the opposite of gnomes. 
but I'm having a hard time figuring out what silhouette size to put them at. On one hand, I could make them a silhouette 2 and leave it at that. Or I could make them a silhouette wet. One and apply advantages and disadvantages of a silhouette too. I would greatly appreciate whatever advice you you two have to offer. Mm-hmm. Now, Chris and I both responded separately. You want to respond yeah. first, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I'll go ahead. And, um, so basically, what I said and the <clears throat> pretty solid so far. Um, like like Tony had said there, Matt. Um, these are pretty pretty cool stats. I like it, and I know this kind of. Um, Let's see. So basically, um, I kind I kind of responded with, you know what? Make them a silhouette too. Build into the advantages and disadvantages of being a silhouette too. Um, and I, the, basically, the silhouette two advantages would be um, if you want to make a silhouette two sized weapon, maybe adding a damage to a profile of a weapon that's a normal weapon would be just fine. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, the built-in advantage is basically on page 88 of the Genesis Core book, the last sentence of the knockdown quality says you need an extra advantage to actually knock these guys down. So there's a couple of really cool advantages. Um, And I would let them wield two-handed weapon sizes, two-handed weapon that are sized for silhouette ones with one hand. Doesn't matter. I would just let that happen. And then, yeah, that course, doesn't have to be a special. There, that doesn't have to be their special ability. Is right. what you're saying. It, exactly. it could just be it's, a common thing in your game. Yes, absolutely. It could be built into that silhouette to um, the the size for mm-hmm. them. And then the disadvantage of being a larger creature is that if you're two size categories lower than them, so those gnomes that are silhouette zero will decrease. Will increase. Sorry, decrease the difficulty in hitting them. And it's vice versa. They'll have a hard time hitting other, um, hitting silhouette zero creatures. So you would increase the difficulty adding another die to that. And then you can also give them a a disadvantage of like, you know, the sizes of armor or um, it's more expensive. Or if you're going into a dungeon, um, you know bigger spaces and they'll probably have setback dice when attacking and those kinds of things um yeah and i say and i think so the 13 so the 14 plus brawn kind of balances out the fact that you have ones in two stats because that's very rare that that it's actually happened normally when you give a stat a three you give one stat a one but the 14 brawn i feel that kind of balances that pretty good what do you think Mm-hmm. Tony, I agree with that, and then um, the special ability that I that I that first came to my mind. First off, you said you did mention large, bigger than a Wookie. These did feel like Wookies to me, you know. So mm-hmm. you could just reskin the Wookie Rage ability, call mm-hmm. it Uru Kasai Frenzy. Um, whenever they suffer, if they've suffered any wounds, they deal one plus one damage to brawl or melee attacks. And when and if they have a if they're suffering from a critical injury, they deal plus two damage. So those were nice. my suggestions on there. What, yep. How about you, there, Tony? Well, I I think you were right on track. I responded with him that you were right on track with the silhouette two thing. Just go ahead and make them silhouette two, because mm-hmm. that's cool. You don't have any silhouette two races, yeah. and it'd be kind of cool. You got a silhouette zero with your gnomes. Now you have a silhouette two with your Aruka Sai, and yeah, just leave the two handed 
wielding one-handed thing as kind of a on-the-fly rule. Yep. Um, uh, excuse me. And your suggestion of uh, uh, mimicking the Wookiee rage works if you want it to express the uh, the battle lust. Mm-hmm. And I like the strain recovery thing. That was neat too, though I would you know word it slightly differently to avoid spellcasters taking advantage of the situation. So what I thought would be, instead of doing the Wookiee Rage, if you wanted to have that ability like the character has in the Descent game, we call it the Arukasai Battle Trance. The Arukasai may cover strain as an incidental equal to their willpower rating after defeating an adversary adversary with a brawl or melee attack. So they have to be using brawl or melee attacks instead of casting spells. because that was that's one thing is if you did let a, one of them be a caster, uh, basically they would kill the spell and immediately regain all the strain, uh, except for what they spent on the spell. So, but they after they cast their first spell, they just would never run out of strain. So, it doesn't okay. you know? And I would keep the uh, level of um, adversary to either uh, you could either do just a rival. Or and nemesis, or just do minion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now that would it be? Now would that be a, a single minion? Yeah. Okay. Or you could do minion group, uh, adverse uh, rival, or nemesis. Um, and that I think that keeps it well balanced. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, uh, Matt responded in kind and thanked us very much and told us we could use this on our show. Cool. Uh, for the record, Matt, we don't wait for permission. <laughs> we we always use them, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I I think you did a a, a great job, yeah, uh, absolutely, and uh, you've got uh, pretty much the stats down to the spirit of the creature, and mm-hmm. just need a little help on that special ability. And I think uh, with either Chris's or mine, you've got yourself an Arukasai, which is basically like a Sasquatch. It's a uh, they look like a Yeti. They're white furred, mm-hmm. um, hairy dudes that stand as taller than a Wookiee. Um, you could even which, call them maybe similar to a Wampa. Mm. Yeah, very similar. <laughs> Not as cool. Not but... as cool. <laughs> nice pun. But, Love the yeah, pun. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, awesome. But uh, yeah, and we featured that this time. Uh, because today's episode is called Primordial People. We're going to be talking during the main subject about uh, the races for our primer or the ad, sorry, the races, the species, species archetypes for our primordial machina setting. Oh, yeah. But first, we've got to go over and hit something else. Yep. <laughs> Well, welcome to 50 Pieces of Awesome. This is where Chris goes out on the interwebs all over the whole thing, scours it from tip to toe, and finds us something cool. That's right. I, 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 go, I go all the way to the end of the damn thing and bow. <laughs> <laughs> so what you got for us, bud? Well, what I have is something that could be used specifically maybe for, for a fantasy setting. But 
there are some maybe some ideas in here where you can kind of reskin these to something else. Um, out on the Fantasy Flight forums, there is something um, A Clark BR90 created um, called an expanded equipment for fantasy setting. <laughs> what? Sorry, I, I thought that said Admiral Akbar ninety. I never noticed that it was a Clark bar. Sorry, go on. <laughs> a Clark bar ninety. Oh. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Continue, my friend. All right, no problem, buddy. Um, and then in this first, so there's an expanded equipment list, which is, is which is an online Excel spreadsheet with some different workbooks at the bottom, um, tabs and whatever. He also has a random equipment list that you can roll on to, it's a D100 chart of random equipment that he kind of puts together, pulling from his uh, from his. Ex- equipment list so it's that's a it's, great resource i love it isn't it <laughs> it's pretty awesome so there are a few things in here that really stood out to me that i thought were fairly unique and cool and um interesting i haven't seen this done before um there is this goblin bog juice he has a res- i think this is on the potions and drugs page Mm -hmm. towards the bottom he has resilience in parentheses two to avoid vomiting now i believe that's a resilient an average resilience check is Mm -hmm. that what you got to okay average difficulty to avoid vomiting and then of course they have he's got dwarven fire whiskey where it's a resilience of one to avoid drunkenness so that's cool, <laughs> but really, what what totally t- stood out to me <laughs> to follow up on our last show's theme was <laughs> potion of gaseous form mm-hmm. allows you to become gaseous for the rest of the scene. That's Not right, gaseous, <laughs> but gaseous. <laughs> You can become a fart for an entire scene. I don't know. It just made me think. It's like when I saw Potion of Gaseous Form, I'm like, oh, yeah, Tony and I had a couple of those on our way to the con of the cop, apparently. It'd be great if the sound effect, every time you took that potion, the sound effect is just, (laughs) and you turn into smoke. (laughs) Potion of cloud kill. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> so uh, that was pretty cool. But yeah, and I don't know. I just, I, it just, it really stood out to me as a things that make you go, hmm. Because you know, when I, you know, being the DM that I am, yes, that's Dungeon Master, everybody. You know, rolling on those tables in the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Monster Manual, whatever. You know, this random equipment table just kind of spoke to me in that in that regard. So I Matt, like it, or not, Matt. Admiral Akbar or a Clark bar or whatever you called it. <laughs> this yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely fifty pieces of awesome here. I must All right. Say. Well, cool. Yeah, I liked it too. I took a good look at it and I was laughing at the same things you were. Um, You're my brother so, from another mother. I know. Isn't that right. <laughs> as soon as I saw the potion, why you picked the potion of gaseous form? I gaseous form. I knew immediately. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. But um, so, Mister. A. Clark, BR90, we give you 50 pieces of awesome. Merry Christmas. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Merry Christmas and well done. That's right. <laughs> all right, man. Happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, and all those other things. <laughs> 
and a partridge in a pear tree too. <laughs> All right, next next segment. You ready? Yeah, let's get, get into the meat of this thing. Sure. All right, everybody. Welcome to the books of Genesis. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, this is we're gonna we what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about our archetypes, species that we're um, gonna be that we're gonna be putting in um, the primeval machina, primordial machina. I know you. Laugh you have made that time. mistake in like three t- three episodes, buddy. I know I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> now we're gonna start talking about, and I'll be getting it right again. So, yep. <laughs> all right, yep. yeah. So, um, well, I guess if you all would turn you turn to your um, good book of Genesis, core, to page thirty six. Yes, we have. Um, we start off with the human archetypes. Yep, which we're basically just gonna lift and plop in. You know, I mean the average. I mean, we now do we want to do the average human? We want to do all of these, right? We want to have all a laborer. Yeah, yeah, because this gives a nice good um, range of plain humans. Because humans will be the main, um, probably the you know the main species in um, in that world. I would say. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Yep. Yeah. The, to me, the the humans seem to be the primary species in the world, uh, probably making up a good sixty to seventy percent of the population. Um, with you know all these others being rarer, you yeah. know, um, the four archetypes in the book uh, seem to fit well. Now we can go, you know, your average human could be just about any character. But then you go into your laborer. That's somebody, maybe someone who worked in the coal mines in yep. one of the cities, or one of the people who works in the clockwork industry, mm-hmm. uh, one of the people who works in the airship uh, industry, building airships. Uh, okay. Anyone who works in one of those major industries, maybe a laborer who's um, worked in a, one of the magic crafting facilities in one of the cities uh, where they are using this newer uh, arcane source of um, power for uh, and that would be your laborer type someone yeah. who grew up in that environment maybe not so much that they are were a laborer but they come from generations of laborers so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and they have you know in, in the book there you know they have a heftier brawn they get the tough as nails and start with athletics and such so <clears throat> yeah and that's just perfect so then we go into like the intellectuals mm-hmm. and again those fit any of any of your um book learning type folks um oh yeah university people people who were in business again mm-hmm. this is a setting where it's kind of steampunk so there's there's yeah. there's all kinds of businesses out there you know banking is a thing uh, all that mm-hmm. your intellectuals would be that yep and then the last one last one will be your um your aristocrat so these will be all of your um well your silver tongue politicians and people who lead um, others like lead the like maybe lead some of the guilds or um, who are basically the face for the um, organizations that they may lead. 
Okay. And the families of the noble houses. Families of the noble houses, that's right. Yeah. 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 Well, so. well, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Them too. But then we wanted to also, we wanted to take a couple other um, races, species from other things and kind of subvert them or flip them on their head for this. And what was the first one, bud? Well, the first one we have here in our list is the Clockwork Droid. Clockwork. Yeah. The Clockwork, which is basically a droid. Think of a droid from the Star Wars game. That's pretty much what we're what we're thinking here. You know, okay. this is um when I when I thought of this, I was thinking of. Do you remember? Do you ever you've watched um the Hellboy movie, right? Mm-hmm. And that Clockwork assassin. Mm-hmm. Kind of person. That's kind of what I'm. That's what I'm thinking, right? Sure. That sure. Um, is one. What other? Um, what other clockwork? Well, you have the clockwork soldiers from the Hellboy Two. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah, Golden you're... Army. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, that's true. they were. They were. They were industrial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, you've got other things out there. I just am drawing a total blank. Well, you've got the mm-hmm. Clockwork Owl from the uh, oh, yeah. Clash of the Titans. From Clash of the Titans. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So those were kind of the 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 thoughts that we were that we were thinking of there for that. And in um, so now, oh, go ahead. Um, did you ever play Skyrim? I played. Ah, gosh, I probably played a few hours of it. Okay, because they played had all the way through it or anything. They had in the Dwarven Dungeons okay. dun- um, clockworks that were all different sizes and shapes and sentient kind oh, of there you go. Uh, sentries that they had built for their dungeons. And um, this kind of brought to that to mind also oh, cool. for me. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with the dwarves being the being the um, the crafters that go around and kind of build the different cities and having some of these clockworks working for them, doing maybe mm-hmm. some of their laborer tasks. Or sure. those human well, laborers, too. You know, well, we do them. have a history for them. They were yep. actually created by the gnomes. Um, yep. that, is a lot, that is a dead race. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that, which we'll get into later during our uh, setting the tone. But yep. um, let's get into what, uh, what one of these clockwork can do, because I think they're really kind of one of the most versatile species. Or, Absolutely. Uh, are, available so yeah yeah so with so basically so the species so the abilities that that Mm -hmm. would give them ones and everything okay okay now everybody's probably cringing going what well we're giving them 175 starting experience points too okay okay so that's kind of that'll make up for you know the, the having the twos and everything you know for humans and whatever and give them some extra so you can you can really make you can really tailor this Droid, not droid. Sorry, clockwork to um, whatever you want it to do, and then yep. we have a wound and strain, a wound threshold of ten plus brawn, a strain threshold of ten plus willpower, and then um, what are the some of the special abilities here, Tony? Well, they have uh, this first special abilities. They do not eat, do not sleep, do not mm-hmm. breathe, and are unaffected by toxins and poisons. Mm-hmm. Clockworks also have the cybernetic implant impact cap of six, which we're going to be instead of using cybernetics, we're going to be using steamware, is what we're calling it. Yeah. Um, so uh, for steamware, imp- 
we were going to use the rules for cybernetics, which is uh, the usual rating is uh, four plus your brawn rating. Theirs is six plus your brawn rating uh, is their maximum that they can have. In addition, after selecting their career, the clockwork player character may train train one rank in six of their eight career skills instead of the usual four. Mm -hmm. And after, uh, no, that doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so there's that, and then the next one is inorganic, mm-hmm. which uh, they do not gain benefits from magic healing or from uh, painkillers. Like, yeah, painkillers, that's what they're called, yep. Or the, or the medicine skill. Mm-hmm. Instead, they require uh, a system uh, resting and, and also mechanics check to heal. Yep, yep. <clears throat> And uh, we can also throw in – we hadn't decided yet, but we can also throw in like an emergency repair patch kind of as a, like a magic potion for them also, uh, um, emergency repair that makes, potion. That will act like a painkiller basically, right? Mm-hmm. Which will give them like the five wounds, and then for everyone after that, it will be a four, three, two, one or whatever. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then the last thing it has uh, – well, last two things it has is that they uh, begin – Due to their resilient metallic construction, Clockwork start the game with one rank in the Enduring Talent. Yep. So they start with a plus one soak. Is that what that is? Enduring? I think that's what it is. All right. Hang on a second, Chris. Uh, Go ahead and go ahead with what the mechanical being is. The mechanical being, yeah. Um, Well, this says it cannot become become, um, force-sensitive or whatever, but I think for us, they won't be able to cast magic. In, in our in, in our setting here so um you know won't be able to get the um magic skills put ranks in them or anything because they won't be able to channel channel magic that way that so. was kind of what i was thinking too yep. yeah yeah that's what i was thinking so these guys would be great in any other role but not mm-hmm. great magic users um, yeah exactly <laughs> So yeah, that's pretty much it. You just reskin them. You know, you mm-hmm. have you get to design what they look like for your for your. That's one of the the best things about this uh, species is that you get to design kind of what your chassis looks like. Yeah, uh, you can choose, and you can use the if you have the Edge of the Empire. It's uh, or the Age of Rebellion books. Um, they have in there um, a series of. Um, kind of ideas on what you base your chassis on, uh, you can feel free to use those for your clockwork. Yep. Yep. Excellent. So what's our next race there, bud? Well, it's your favorite and mine. Yeah. The dwarves. <laughs> yeah. Our master craftsmen, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, the creators of, well, the world we know pretty much after, yeah. the, after the great destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We're going to go to the dwarves that are on page 64 of Realms of Terranoth, and they list two different kinds, but we're kind of basing ours more on the latter kind. The forged uh, dwarves, right? The forged dwarf, yes. Um, they don't live underground. Our dwarves live in a great moving city, um, mm-hmm. and um, they are used to being uh well, craftsmen. So, yep. uh, first thing they're going to do is you're going to have the standard dwarven stats. It's going to be two brawn, one agility, two intellect, 
two cunning, three willpower, two presence. Mm -hmm. They also will have the uh, 11 plus brawn for their wound threshold and 10 plus willpower for their strain threshold and a starting XP of 90. And then we're going to give them, for their starting skill, we're going to give them negotiation. And um, that's basically because they've been... You know, they've been trading for centuries with the humans building for them, mm-hmm. and every every one of them just has a talent with it. Uh, it's natural. Yeah. Um, and it then does, we're it makes it makes sense to say, yeah, we're gonna come fix your city, and then they can negotiate. <laughs> they're able to negotiate because they're probably pretty strict. They're like, you know what? Here's the price. There's mm-hmm. really not a whole lot of negotiation. It's gonna cost you this much. Well, your laborers could do this, but they're gonna screw it up. You're just gonna end up calling us again. <laughs> you can call us again if you want. That's fine, but <laughs> yeah. Dwarven craftsmanship, second to none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, then we're going to keep the uh, stubborn talent, or yeah. not talent, but uh, the stubborn ability also, which is yep. uh, dwarves add a setback die to all social checks targeting them. Uh, they tend to be stubborn. That helps when they're negotiating. Yes, it sure um, does. <laughs> And then the last one, we're going to throw out what they have here as tough as nails. We're just going to throw that out, and we're going to create our own ability for our dwarves yes. that fits the setting better. Mm-hmm. And what we did was we went to the eye for detail talent that's in the uh, expanded talents genesis list uh, created yep. on the FFG forums. Mm-hmm. And we decided we were going to reword it, rename it, and we were going to make it the dwarves talent. And we'll also use this as a talent in um, – a dwarf's special ability, but it'll also be used as a talent in our in our setting. Yep. And we're, so we're calling this Master Craftsman, mm-hmm. and it is a uh, after making a mechanics or alchemy check, you may suffer strain up to your ranks in Master Craftsman mm-hmm. to convert it, that many successes to advantage. Right. And really what that is is, okay, so the biggest thing you want when you're crafting things is advantage. You want to at least succeed by one yep. and then have your – so what it, this gives you something to do with all those excess um, successes because they're yeah. really worth nothing to you uh, when you look at the crafting tables. When you look at crafting tables, it's all about spending the advantage. Yep. So this allows you to convert that. Yep, and this also counts as a rank for eye for detail, mm-hmm. or master craftsman right. as the first rank in it. Yeah, and it starts off as a tier three talent, so you know it's not like something you'll get like right away at right. tier one. But so dwarves do. But dwarves will get it right away, and it will count as their first rank. So that would mean if they wanted to get another rank in it, um, it would have to be a a, a tier four talent. No, nope, they could buy it at tier three. They would be able to buy it at Tier 3. Okay. Yep. They would be able to buy it at Tier 3. That's when they could start buying it. So they would start with it early. Oh, I see what you mean. They would just have one extra rank in it to start with. Yep. That's cool. That is cools. Okay. I like that, man. All right. So then that was our dwarves. And and we will do, you know, a little fluff on how to describe their, (laughs) you know, their society. But, um... Which we did some before. Yeah, we did. But now we have our most unique species, which is a species 
where you immediately start off making a choice. Yes, you do. So these are our amalgams. These are the um, uh, elemental-based species in our world. Elemental humanoids. Elemental humanoids. Um, You can be an earth amalgam, an air amalgam, a fire amalgam, or a water amalgam. Mm-hmm. And you're basically the living embodiment of that element. And um, that's basic. that's the best way I could kind of describe it, you know? Right. And um, we're, we'll have to, we haven't really put together any abilities on these guys, so... But we, we are, yeah, we are kind of making them from scratch. But we we do have, thanks, thankfully, Genesis is an amazing toolkit. They provided us rules for creating our own uh, archetypes. Sweet, that's an again toolkit, right? Correct. It's on page one ninety two in your book of Genesis. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, so we're going to kind of follow through those rules a little bit. So Sweet. first, we got to come up with starting statistics. Now, starting characteristics. Do we want to keep them st- the same starting characteristic across the board for all four, or would you like them all to have different ones, Chris? What's your opinion on that? Um, my first thought was to um, have them all different. How, and kind of, like, kind of like how the human archetypes are different, right? Where you have your, your laborer that has a one in brawn, or a three in brawn, but, some, but a one in something else. And I'm feeling like the Earth um, one may have a three in brawn. You know what I mean? Okay. But I don't know. Uh, that, that's what I was kind of thinking. Um, right, but where would you put their one? I have an idea, but well, I was thinking of um, where would I put their one? Probably cunning. That would probably be that was my that's my first thought. Because they tend to be straightforward and uh, pretty much right in your face and pretty steady, <laughs> right? I mean. Okay, so they're they're going to have two. Oh, yeah, that that cunning was either cunning or presence were my first choice. Cool. Um, but I like the idea of um, having them having uh, three brawn to start, yep. Yep. and then we'll give them a one cunning, and then they'll have two and everything else. Got it. So then we move on to our. Oh no, we don't move on yet. So we also need a skill, beginner skill, to give them. What are you thinking? Hmm. Nothing jumps out at me. Resilience. Resilience. Maybe a maybe a rank in resilience, huh? Yeah. That seems perfect to me. And we also we did talk about a special ability though too, didn't we? Yes, we did. But we first we have to come up with our wound and strain thresholds. Yes. So now I picture these guys as being relatively tough, uh, yeah. being on Earth and having a lower strain. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking maybe twelve and eight, twelve <laughs> for their. Yeah, you are. Uh, you are my um, my brother. Because um, <laughs> that's what I had to. <laughs> that's what okay. I was thinking too with that. All right. And then, so we had a an idea on uh, ability. What what what'd you think? Well, we could take. Um, I think our first thought was taking the dwarf um, tough as nails ability. That it fits. Like, I mean, it does. It really does. 
Uh, it fits that <clears throat> kind of rooted to the ground personality of an Earth amalgam. Yeah, it does. It does. All right, so we're going to give them tough as nails. And then starting XP, um, looking at their ability scores, looking at their wounds, they are pretty much, um, I mean, almost identical to the laborer. Um, Which was, what, 90 or 100? They're at 100. They're at 100? I, uh, mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I could see um, maybe even giving them... I think all of ours should have this, mm-hmm. where they're environmentally adapted. Okay. Ooh, yes. The ability over on page 193 in um, the Genesis Core rulebook, are environmentally adapted. This species has adapted to living in a particular climate, or in this case, a particular um, elemental manifest zone. Cool. So, when it comes to environments such as an earth elemental environment zone they would remove a setback die from all checks based on environmental conditions in an earthy or earth manifest zone cool and then because they have an extra special ability i think starting xp would be 90 yeah me too that feels that feels right to me yeah it does Okay, moving on. Okay. What's next? Next one, we have air for a for our amalgam, for our air amalgams. Mm-hmm. So when I think of, so when I think of air, I'm, I think these guys are the cunning ones, maybe. I agree. You know, I think I, they're, they're your opposites of Earth. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at probably a three in cunning and a one in brawn I'm and thinking. a one in brawn. Yeah, I like how these are kind of opposites there. That's cool. Yep. And then as far as a beginning skill, well, what do you think? What do you think about wounds and strains? Oh, I think we should just do the opposite of the earth. I think it eight would brawn, be eight for wounds, twelve eight for, for wounds. Mm-hmm. Works for me, dude. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that's that feels good. How about how about our um, how about the skill? What were you thinking for skill? I think perception. Ooh, I like that. Perception. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then they would also have the environmentally uh, adapted. Environmentally adapted for yeah. air environments. Or an air manifest zone. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's 90 XP too, right? 90 beginning XP. Oh, yeah. we need to come up with their special ability. Yeah, I, I like flight. I like it too. All flight do. really does in Genesis. It still covers. You still cover the same movement. That's the one thing I love about flight in Genesis. Is in when you have flying monsters, when you have flying PCs, mm-hmm. it's not so much of it. It's a narrative element. Mm-hmm. They just ignore difficult terrain. That's all flight really does. They still move normally. When coming yeah. from a higher to a lower elevation, they can descend faster, allowing them to cover two range increments where they would normally cover one. But other than that, mm-hmm. um. 
you you have the rules for falling damage. So if they hit the ground, no matter how fast they're going, you can just say, "All right, you're going to be taking damage," um, or they yeah. run into something. Um, you know, I like the idea of flight. Yeah, there is a. Um, so I'm just looking at like a flying mount here, mm-hmm. and they call it flyer. They can fly. See the flying sidebar, page 100 in the Genesis Core. Yep, page 100 in the Genesis Core says... Yeah, we're in here. Flying. Flying in Genesis is handled in two different ways. Vehicles and starships that fly, or creatures and individuals can fly, but not the same speeds as vehicle. In these cases, the creatures and individuals simply move from one place to another by flying but still use the rules presented in this chapter for situations such as combat. Their flight is handled mostly narratively with a common-sense approach. For example, a flying creature would easily fly over a difficult or impassable terrain, Mm -hmm. fly over water, or without having to swim. It could cover vertical distances in the same amount of way as an individual covers a horizontal one. However, there are some points to keep in mind concerning flying creatures. Creatures, species that can hover, re- rely on swiftly moving wings, bags of lighter than air, gas, or other systems to move while staying above the ground. This type of movement allows the, for the game same game rules as those for other creatures, with the following exceptions. Hovering creatures ignore difficult or pa- impassable terrain as long as they are reasonably be able to stay above it. And they ignore the penalties for moving through water. They generally have to stay relatively close to the ground at medium range. I like that. Me that works, works perfectly fine. So we're thinking and that then, these guys that these guys could hover. Yep. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And then there's the 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 staying um, the other flight, which is they have to be in they have to have one round of flight movement in order to stay in in the air. They have to move every round. Yeah, these guys are like the living embodiment of like air <laughs> yep they're essentially I, I feel... a, a living cloud so yeah they can stay stationary um cool. I, I like the idea of this but theirs is more of a hovering flight yeah Fire hovering cool all right so moving on yep to ah, my personal favorite the fire <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> the fire amalgam to me, fire seems, you know, fiery, explosive. Presence should be their primary stat. Yeah, I think um, so, too. And I think because presence is such a, you know, high, you know, up there, one of the things also that they have low impulse control. So willpower would be their low stat. So three presence, one yeah. willpower. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that. Now I like the idea of each species being each one being slightly different. So what I was thinking for the wounds and the strain mm-hmm. was going instead of with the twelve and eight like we did with the other two, which are more extremes. We've got kind of the middle two. You know, if you're looking at your yeah. square, I see the air being on top, the earth being on the bottom, and then you've got your left and right, which is your fire and water. Yeah. Um. um so I would think either they're tens and tens. Mm-hmm. 10 and 10, or they're 11 and 9. I like the 11 and 9, personally. Uh, n- 9 for strain and 11 for wounds, yeah. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. Well, actually, I was going the other way with fire. Um, 
Uh, nine. nine for wounds and eleven for strain, and then reversing that for um, the water. Cool. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Well, I and think, then I think um, uh, for a skill, I was thinking like a coercion for that. I mean, like definitely, like you, like you said, like the presence. They're just wah, like immediate. I mean, they can. They just use that presence and that fiery nature of them to kind of coerce people. And not necessarily cool and charming in a way. I do see it more of like a threatening, hmm. naturally threatening, right? What do you think? Yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think you're right on base there. I like the idea of um, either, I was leaning towards either co- uh, coercion or, uh, uh, what was the other one? Um I'm drawing a total blank because I don't have a skill list in front of me. <laughs> is it another social skill or? Uh, yeah, it was uh, leadership. It was either coercion or leadership. Uh, but um, I, you know, I, I like coercion more. Um, coercion is uh, is willpower based, so you're kind of hampering them by making that a, or you're giving them a benefit where they oh, have. It a, is willpower based. Yes, whereas leadership is more presence based. Yeah, I kind of, I, I think, I think going with leadership would be feels better here. I think in that in that regard. Okay. All right. Though giving them the one free rank in coercion kind of makes up for the one in willpower if they want, but but yeah, I like I like the leadership. That's cool. Okay, let's do that. All right, so we're gonna go with leadership instead. And they are. The fire manifest zones. They get to remove a setback die. Yep. Environmental adaptation fire. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. They can stand in the campfire. Then <laughs> <laughs> sing Kumbaya to everybody. Right. Even lead them in a song. <laughs> that was bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> Using that leadership, man. <laughs> Damn skippy. All right. And then for their ability... So I had one that I noted here, and I think it's kind of cool. I I wrote it down as Wreath in Flames. Okay. Not so cool, but because that burns, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, that was dumb. So I liked the idea of having uh, them be able to uh, wreath a one single melee weapon in fire, giving it the burn quality. Uh. And they can do this by spending a story point, uh, and they can do it for a number of rounds equal to their presence rating. Cool. And it would give a burn equal to the base damage of the weapon. What do you think? <clears throat> oh, no, wait. Burn does... Burn, burn is number of rounds. We need to give it a number of rounds. rounds. I'm thinking. Uh, okay, so then burn would be for burn equal to the rating of their presence. Sweet. Being quality. So it'd be starting at burn three. Presence. Yep. Yeah, I forgot about that. Burn does the base damage of the weapon for a number of rounds equal to the. Mm-hmm. Um, now yep. would we would we make that? I might have asked you this before. Would we make them um, have to concentrate? spend a concentration maneuver 
as you know, kind of how the magic magicians do when we're casting spells to keep it going. I don't think so. I think it's just kind of natural. Yeah, just kind of do it and keep it going for number of rounds equal to equal to their presence. Yep. For they would it would have burn quality equal to the number of rounds of their presence. Burn presence. You know what I mean? Jeez, I can't even talk. <laughs> well, so because we're giving it because no, like how how long is their weapon burning? Oh yeah, it gotcha. breathed in flame, right? That's number of rounds equal to their presence. The burn. Or we could have quality. it last for the encounter. We could have it last for one encounter for the encounter and just have it be a once per session ability. That doesn't suck. I like that more. Once Let's have it last session? for the entire encounter once and make it a once per session. So wording would be once per session, spend a story point mm-hmm. to wreath your weapon in flames, mm-hmm. giving that weapon a burn quality equal to your presence rating. Yep. Lasts the encounter. And it lasts for the entire encounter. I like it. Cool. Yeah, me too. Me too. And again, ninety XP for these guys yeah. too, right? Yeah, I yeah. see that. I'm seeing. I'm seeing a theme here. <laughs> well, yeah, we want them to kind of all be similar. Oh yeah. I like that the fact that they have the balancing of the stats. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So we got the. So now we're on to water, which should mm-hmm. be fairly straightforward now. Um, so we have. So we'll have twos across, but a three in willpower? I was thinking, oh, actually, of three oh. in agility. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And that's where these two, water and fire, kind of differ from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is where they would only have one stat in common instead of two. Whereas, um, you know, how the earth and air are like exact opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. Water and fire are slightly opposite of each other a little bit. They have the one stat in common. So it would have a three in agility, but have the presence of one. Presence of one. There we go. You like that? I do. I do. Do we want to keep the same a nine in brawn or do we flip that too? What do you think? I like the idea of flipping it. Eleven in wounds and eleven wounds. Um, yeah. Nine in strain. Yeah. That's cool. Now for the skill. First thing that I had to my I, mind. First thing that I popped had, to my my mind was stealth, but maybe first not. one that popped in my mind was coordination. Yeah, I like that one. Coordination. Yeah, I like that. Because of the agility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then environmentally adapted in water zones. Water manifest zones. Mm-hmm. And what's the special the other special ability we were thinking? Um how about a rank and dodge? Yes. They begin with the talent dodge and one free rank in it. Yep. And that'll work basically the same as our, um, what do you call it? 
as the dwarves. Um, the master craftsman. Master craftsman, right? So that yep. I think Dodge is what a tier two or tier three I do, town. I think Can't Dodge remember. is Dodge is tier one, I believe. Is Dodge tier one? I'm going to it right now, hoping to find it soon. Talents, here we go. Um, no, Dodge is not tier one. Dodge is. Tier three, I think. Yes, it is. It is a tier, tier three. Tier three. Tier three. Yep. Yep. So, when your character, let me read it so people who don't have the book can know. Uh, when your character, it's a tier three talent active. Well, for our characters, it's going to be a starting talent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's active, incidental out of turn, and it's okay. ranked. Uh, when your character is targeted by a combat check, ranged or melee. They may suffer a number of strain no greater than their ranks in dodge to use this talent. Then upgrade the difficulty of the combat check targeting your character by the number of times equal to the strain suffered. So if you only have the beginning rank in it, it's going to cost you one strain and it'll upgrade the check once. Basically making you adversary one for one Mm -hmm. strain. That's effectively what that does. Against one attack. Not all attacks incoming that round, just one attack. Yep. Pretty cool, though. Doesn't suck. It's got that kind of fluid motion kind of feel to it. Kind of like water would be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I like these. All right. Like and then, you know, as we go, these are the ones that we decided at, uh, at the creation of our setting mm-hmm. um, that we wanted to do. But we ha- I have ideas, and I'm sure other people out there who are listening to us have ideas of creatures and things that might fit into this setting. Yeah. If you want to, folks, if you want to add a race that or a species to our setting, email us at findingthenarrativepodcast at gmail.com with your species background and stats. Yep. And Chris and I will... Pick from those emails one to add to the initial setting document. Sweet. The best one. What do you think? I like that idea. Yeah. I like that idea. And, and then we have room to grow. We may find more than one, but we'll guarantee at least one. Yeah. <laughs> so of you like five or ten listeners out there, if only one of you sent in an email, hey, that's going to be easy choice. Yay. You're the us, lucky right? Stefan. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's nice. Yeah. All right. So yeah, yeah, that's it for pretty much for the for the making our species for our setting. It was really kind of easy. We didn't have a lot of, you know, tremendous amount of thought to have to put into it. We weren't talking about like twenty five different alien species for like a sci fi setting. No. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But so. So that's cool. I'm actually looking forward to our next segment. You want to get over there, buddy? Oh yeah. Welcome to Setting the Tone. This is where Chris and I pick a book uh, of the books of Genesis and read you some of the fluff from it. Mm-hmm. But um, we decided to pick the fluff I've been writing for our Primordial Machina setting. That's right. Um, so your let elevator me start. pitch, your yes, your opening, your opening scrawl, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this would probably be the introduction to the game uh, when you open the document. Eventually, this is what you'll read. Yep. 
So the world of Aura, spelled O-R-A-H, was a lush world inhabited by men and dwarves and ruled over by the immortal and ancient fey god kings. Powerful, capricious, and immense, these timeless masters ruled over all the lesser races. Immune to the ravages of time, they spent ages and fortunes designing great works of magic and science, expanding their knowledge of the cosmos. Great, glistening, golden cities spread across the land, interspersed with lush, magical gardens, soaring in the skies like enormous earthen clouds, um, were alien enclaves of the Fey God King's Sky Isles. The, uh, the Fey God Kings ruled over it all in perfect order for eons. So what do you think so far? <clears throat> I like it. That definitely evokes a, an image of this place that, um, yeah, that I wish was still around. <laughs> but it wouldn't be so interesting in our, <laughs> in what we've done with it, right? Now my, yeah, and now my inspiration for those who are out there that kind of wonder, well, what is he talking about with these immense beings? My inspiration for the Fey God Kings, I'll be honest, is the Eldrazi from Magic the Gathering. Hmm. If you go to Google, if you don't know what they are, Google search Eldrazi, that's E-L-D-R-A-Z-I, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, That gives you an idea of what I'm thinking of visually for my fey god kings. Um, Cool. They might have, and I haven't gotten this yet, but they do have the Ravnica, I think, setting for D&D 5th edition. That's That's the Magic the Gathering setting, right? Yeah, that's cool. not part of the Eldrazi stuff, but yeah. Oh, it's not. Oh, okay. No. The Eldrazi were an ancient, unknowable race of huge, enormous intelligences that were kind of um, growers and destroyers of worlds, so to oh, speak. Wow. Cool. Um, All right. Um, anyhow, um, that's to put it the most plain way. of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, to continue, uh, that is until the fracture. A device known simply as the Oculus was commissioned by the god king Orphandrion, designed to allow him to glimpse the world of the elemental maelstrom and send troops to raid its resources. Unfortunately for the fey god, the gnomish peoples, the slaves that he had built that he had, had built the device, had grown tired of their slavery and quite knowledgeable at the feet of their masters. The gnomes had rigged the device to backfire. And when Orphandrion activated it, it used his life force to open the veil between worlds. This had two unforeseen side effects. The first being that every gnome alive disappeared, leaving only their clockwork creations behind. The second was that the fabric of reality between the two worlds was permanently torn asunder. The elemental lords of the Maelstrom immediately sensed this tear and began pouring through, transforming everything in their wake, kind of terraforming the world to their desire. A great war ensued, a war that destroyed elemental lord and fey god king alike, and ravaged both the world of Aura and the Maelstrom, leaving it all in ruins, all except the nomadic dwarven citadel of Bronzevold that escaped the destruction by adapting and staying mobile. The last of the elemental lords fell, and the fey god kings were no more. Scattered tribes of men and elemental beings known as the Amalgams 
riddled the wasteland. So, dude, that's cool. So now we have like this huge war that destroyed everything. Now, when I see our world, I see it as being more of a plane of existence. It was this kind yeah. of this endless plane, mm-hmm. and because the maelstrom ripped into reality it approached from four different directions so on the edges of this plane now are these huge elemental zones that you know you'll have an elemental air zone that's a small you know city-sized air zone or you'll have a fire zone that's the size of a small state like vermont or something Mm -hmm. you'll have those littered throughout the the wasteland as I called the blasted plains mm-hmm. or at the Western edge or one edge of this limitless plane, mm-hmm. it just becomes a fire element. The fire uh, zone the fire plane or whatever, like the plane of fire. Yes. It's the, the ma- elemental maelstrom of fire and gotcha. yep. just becomes that. And that is what it is for eternity going off in that direction. Mm-hmm. That's Um, (laughs) That's pretty cool. Yeah, so putting them, like you said, on a axis, assigning mm -hmm. a direction to them would make sense here. You know, like what we were saying. Cool. Continuing on. 10,000 years have passed since the end of the God War, and with the help of the Dwarven Steam Rites, shelter cities of man have risen from the ashes. Great dichotomies of wealth and commerce and crime and poverty. These enclaves of pollution-filled oases are pollution-filled oases in a shattered wasteland of ancient ruins and unpredictable elemental manifest zones. Scavengers pick over the bones of the society past. Relic hunters and treasure seekers plunder ancient ruins. Amalgams struggle to survive in the underbellies of cities not their own or eke out meager existences as nomadic tribes in the manifest zones. Dwarven steam rites craft new devices and expand their knowledge of science and alchemy. Houses of human nobility and guilds of elemental mages vie for political and economic power in the ever-changing landscapes. And underneath it all, sentient clockwork, the last creations of the vanished gnomes, seek to make a place for themselves in a world where they are perceived as nothing more than tools to be used. This is the world of Primordial Machina. Bum, bum, bum. Dude, that's rocking, man. Dude, you write really well. Oh, thank <laughs> that you. Was really, uh, that was really good, man. I like that. Yep. Yeah. Now, one of the things that came to mind when I was creating the setting is, when, when I was creating some of the background for the setting, was that you and I had talked about creating like this magic fuel. Mm-hmm. Um that uh, we wanted to be like the new technology. It's the new craze. All the noble houses are fueling everything with it. Yep. And, and, I, and I had this idea, and I ran it by Chris. Um, I called it Fey Crystal. So what this Fey Crystal is, it's, a crystallized, it's the crystallized and shattered remains of the elder Fey God Kings. Usually a golden blue crystal that pulsates with raw energy and is now used as a source, a fuel source for new technology. Cool. So Very I had cool, that, and I don't know exactly where, you know, we'll, we'll probably do more work on that. Mm-hmm. And then I came up with some of the cooler um, 
sanctuary cities. Yeah, man. Of course, we have Bronzevold, which yes. Chris and I actually kind of came up with. That was solely based on uh, seeing the first trailer for uh, <laughs> Immortal Engines. Which comes out in a couple weeks. <laughs> which comes out in a couple weeks, and I totally am going to see. Yeah. Um, but seeing this dwarven citadel as this huge tank that just rolls across the landscape going from city to city yep. with, with airships taking off from it, yep. leaving it and going off to various different places, carrying dwarven steam rights to these different cities to make repairs or advancements for mm-hmm. various different uh, interests. Yeah. The dwarven city itself is very, very in like secluded. You know, outsiders aren't seen very often beyond like the outsider area, maybe the port. Yeah, uh, yeah, the port part of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I like mm-hmm. that. You know, we had Bronzevold. Mm-hmm. Then we had um, uh, first one that came to mind was Stormhaven. Um, Stormhaven is in an air manifest zone. It is the least polluted of the city cities, and it is has the most fake crystal trade. It is the center for knowledge on the non-pollutant magical energy movement that is sweeping across the nobles of Orc. So picture this as like the shining golden city in the clouds. It's kind of built on like a, almost like a, a solid cloud, gotcha. uh, multiple tiers. And you've got the nobles higher up and then the, the low lives below. And, you know, I can see it, the, the lower reaches of the city where it just constantly rains fecal matter from gotcha. the upper area. And they <laughs> would know. be they would be like the northern direction, right? Yeah, it think? would be right along a like a northern northerly direction. And if there's anyone out there that um really good at drawing maps, <laughs> get a hold of me. Um because I have an idea how I want to draw this world out, but I have no skill at it. <laughs> <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, but anyhow, next I had the spire. The Spire is a vertical city. It is a, um, it's called Spire, the vertical city. It's a nomadic trade hub. This Spire is a great stone pillar in an earth manifest zone that rises kilometers high. Uh, climbing its sides, wrapping around it, is a sprawling metropolis. The lower tiers house poor, bristling slums, while its upper reaches house great noble houses and the richest families of man. What's up? Okay. And um, f- then the next one was Calder. Uh, Calder is anchored above a lake of lava in a fire zone. It has 12 great pillars holding the city. It's a massive cityplex uh, and a marvel of dwarven craftsmanship. Um, it is a center for metalcraft and ore trade amongst men. Cool. Uh, even, d- even dwarves go there to buy the ore that they need. Um, nice. uh, next, uh, I thought was probably my, my favorite shattered crown is a city carved deep into the blasted plains at the center of the blasted plains, which is what I'm calling the wasteland uh, carved deep into the earth edge. Uh, its upper edges are a kilometers wide silver and jewel encrusted crown that once belonged to Orphandrion himself. Ooh, I like that. Uh, its lower halls are a series of filthy, soot-filled coal mines that are ever-expanding 
and <laughs> are maze-like. Um, nice. And then the last one I have uh, was Brinehearth. This one is in an uh, air, uh, water zone. Okay. Uh, Brinehearth is a great floating city built out of a substance called float coral. It is a city built on stolen gold and a lawless haven for scoundrels and power pirates alike. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, as you can see, we've got, uh, you know, a few different factions in each city uh, that could be used and things like that. And that's what I'm, you know, just going to continue to expand upon. And Chris is adding to it as we go also. But that's pretty much it. Dude, I like that, man. Yep, I've got some like other notes and whatnot on just like little historical stuff, but nothing, nothing that 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 well developed other than yeah. this. You do. I'm getting a picture of all of these things. Can't wait to play in this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't well, wait. Uh, if you, I've made the decision that next year's con on the cob, I'm going to be running this game for everyone. So awesome! I'll be writing an adventure for it once we have the uh, once we have the world up. Sweet, I may have to as well. Yeah. I might. Be cool. It'd be cool if we did. Ooh, oh! I just had a brain fart for our. Instead of doing a like a tossing back and forth of the torch, so to speak, in one session. Yeah. We have the same players. Same pregens. Same pregens, but we do two separate adventures, and one follows the other. Like a part one, yeah. Like okay, that's cool, dude. Like one on Friday, <laughs> one on Saturday. Wait a second. Something like that. Saturday after it's gonna again have to be Saturday afternoon because one person <laughs> is gonna get horribly drunk <laughs> and smashed and won't be able to run their Rippers game. I mean, they won't be able to be able to run a game. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll give that some further thought yeah, on absolutely. how we want to do that, but that that was just a brain fart that just came to me. Um, but anyhow, that's it for right. our epic uh, smell wars still going on. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. it for our setting the tone for today. Yeah, buddy. Uh, let's get on over into everyone's favorite s- section. All right. All right, everybody. Here we are at the Advantageous Threats. Um, let me see. Who wants to go first? You know what? I'll go first. I have a okay. really yeah yeah I kind of wrote a little I was inspired <laughs> I was I inspired by a certain movie that you and I just saw mm-hmm. okay so not to, not to plug it or anything but it was fucking awesome <laughs> <laughs> ditto <laughs> okay so in right a, Gary Gary liked it too Gary yeah, Gary liked it too yeah that was pretty awesome so right. in a Tannhauser game. Hopefully within the next year, FFG, if anybody over there, Sam, any of you guys are listening to this, hint, 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 nudge, nudge, nudge. Um, yeah. Captain- uh, Christmas is coming up. You can announce it anytime. Yeah, same. you sure can. Anytime, guys. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> Captain Frank Lilliman, which, by the way, I got the name from the internets, who he was actually the first infantryman to jump on, I think, on Normandy on D-Day, I think. Anyways... First paratrooper? He's a commander. Yeah, first guy to jump, apparently. Um, He's a commander in the 502nd Parachute Infantry Regiment, and he needs to inspire his platoon of paratroopers 
26 of them to be specific, to jump out of a perfectly good airplane over enemy lands in the middle of flak explosions. And in this, um, I think in the C-47s back then, you can they you could line up, I think, 27 troopers in there. So that's kind of the size that I had for these guys. Oh, and by the way, the plane just the plane next to them just went up in an explosive ball of shrapnel and is now tearing through his plane and his troopers. Oh shit! So he needs to make a leadership check to get these get these guys up and out to um, jump out of a perfectly good airplane. He's got a jump cigar clenched beneath clenched between his teeth. Um, it's going to be a daunting check because. From the number, sheer number of troopers on the difficulties um, based on troop size, group size on page 120 in mm-hmm. the Genesis Core book, which I should have gone to that page, but I'm going there right now. Um, <laughs> f- anything, so 16 to 50 number of targets is daunting. Hard is 6 to 15, 2 to 5 is like an average leadership check. This is going to be tough. Excuse me. Daunting. (laughs) Yeah, it's gonna be daunting, actually. Yeah. So he has a he has quite the presence of four. Um, and he's been leading leading his troopers for many years now, so he's got a leadership of three. And I'm thinking at least one auto upgrade, just because of the horrific situation going on at the moment right now. So I'm looking at three yellows, a green. A red and three purple. Yoy. What do you think, man? Well, I think um, you need to decide what you're going to do as the active player. Are you going to spend a story point for some reason? Uh, yeah, because you know what? This would be a great, great opening scene to a movie. <laughs> 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 to be completely honest with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Shh. <laughs> sure was. It sure was. <laughs> so yes, I am going to send a story point for that. So that leaves me with four yellows. Okay. What do you think? Well, I think uh, the uh, the situation that the uh, the these are untried troops. Even though you've been leading them, you've yep. been leading them through drills at jump school. These guys have not actually seen combat yet. Nope. So, I'm flipping a story point. Awesome. For that. Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, and so, it, that'll upgrade yet another one of your purple dice. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also going to imply, uh, even though you said the chaotic situation would uh, give an automatic upgrade, you said that the shrapnel is tor- torn through the plane and through some of the troops. Yes. So, I think that warrants also a setback die. Okay, or two. I think one for now because you did auto. You did recommend an auto upgrade, so I auto upgraded for the for the for that horrific part of it with the plane being destroyed underneath them. This is a night jump, isn't it? It is a night jump. Early morning, so let's call that darkness. What that setback die is for? Cool. Okay, and then maybe another setback die because of the noise and chaos. Sure. Okay. Cool. All right, here we go then. Yeah, so that's four yellow, two red, two purple, two black. Oh, oh boy. Here we go, everybody. Uh, oh, 
my word. Holy failure. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's not so good. Okay. So I <laughs> So we have a net of two failures, but one advantage for this check. And he was basically trying to get his troopers out of the plane. That was the whole leader what the leadership check was for to get everybody up and going out right. the plane. But so failed. With failed with, one, with an advantage. Yeah. So here's what I say is going to happen since you don't get any narrative control. <laughs> no, I don't. So <laughs> while you're trying to inspire these men, they're just freezing, locking up. They're worried about their al- their friends that are flying out of the gaps in the plane from the shrapnel. And all of a sudden, the plane on the other side of them blows up. Mm-hmm. And another big chunk just rips through the plane. Mm-hmm. Tearing it in half and spilling your troops out. Oh. So they don't actually jump. They are just spilled out of the plane. Oh, well, that helps, I think. How about your advantage? Well, I'm keeping my cigar in my mouth <laughs> while I'm jumping. <laughs> it's still in his mouth while he's jumping okay. and he's able to um, pull his chute. <laughs> All right. How about that? <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're able to grab one trooper on the way out or something like that, too. Well, I could. Yeah, he probably <laughs> Like could. that one last trooper who's just frozen in fear. Yes. You just grab him on the way out and throw him out ahead of you. Throw him out ahead of me, grabbing his grabbing his uh, release so that as he goes, it, his chute opens or something. Yep. Cool. That's mine. <laughs> Okay. All right. So we're mine. I have. I chose to go with Android setting again because I'm so looking forward to playing in that. Yes. And I and so in an Android game, my character, Gogo Bordello, <laughs> is a net. She is a net media celebrity using the entertainer career in the Genesis Core rulebook. Um, she. She needs to set her crew up with a fixer to buy some guns. Now, her crew, even though she's an entertainer, her group uses her entertainment schedule as a as a cover to pull off black ops in various different cities. Nice. I like that. Um, so she is trying for a discreet yet public enough setting so that the fixer thinks twice about starting some shit. Cool. So... For Gogo, she has a two yellow, one green uh, mm-hmm. pool here okay. versus what I would determine, uh, GM probably would determine as a hard difficulty. Basically, she's not just trying to set up a nice, discreet place. She also wanted somewhere that was kind of public okay. and discreet. So, uh, hard difficulty. Um, and she has a talent. Uh, the She has the talent that gives you the boost die uh, proper upbringing I think it is Okay. Um, let me look it up just to be sure because I, I jotted it in my notes but I forgot to put it on the show notes because oh. I you know had a blonde moment but it's uh, <laughs> tier 1 proper upbringing when your character makes a social check check in polite company um, this is streetwise were, so you want yeah. streetwise for this right so this wasn't it then okay Oh, 
uh, once per session. Ooh, okay. That's not it, but I found something else she should have. <laughs> All right, nice. that's not it. Either way, uh, so we're not going to add in a blue die because she doesn't have anything that lets her do that. Um, so, oh, well, maybe somebody on the crew is helping her. Maybe she's getting assistance from one of the guys on her crew. Yeah, there you go. And so this we'll is to find this is to find to find a discreet yet public enough place. Yep. Cool. Um here's a question for you. Upgraded once because Jefferson Street is on her crew and he has a bad rep. Is that what you were saying? What is that? Yes, yes, I hadn't gotten that part. Oh sorry. Uh, <laughs> so the the difficulty was going to be hard, but yeah, mm-hmm. upgraded once. She has a guy on her crew who has a bad reputation. So anytime the crew has to make a streetwise check. Uh, they automatically upgrade the difficulty Ooh, once. Any cool. any known associate, nice. uh, including yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so right now I'm looking at a two yellow, one green, two purple, one red, and a blue die. And I am going to spend a story point to make that three yellow. Cool. Because she really needs this meat to go off without a hitch, because she has not yet had her con- her uh, her show in the. In this area, she's got a show she's planning on doing later, and she doesn't want anything to go wrong with this meeting. Okay, but she is a celebrity. Yes. So some bad things could potentially happen if somebody recognizes her. Yes. So I'm thinking that might be a couple of setback dice on that, if she wants to find a place where she doesn't um, want to get noticed. Right. Yet at the same time, she wants it public enough... So that this guy doesn't start, but it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Right. In that regard, I didn't say I did, but normally in an Android setting and this kind of character, she might decide to get a cybernetic disguise matrix, and maybe if she fails the check, she may decide to do that. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) yeah. So let's. uh, Anything else? Um, no, that sounds good to me, man. You've upgraded your. We've already auto upgraded it because of Jefferson having a bad rap. I think that's good enough. All right, let's roll it up. All right, first thing is that my red die came back with one failure and one uh, threat. Okay. And then my other two purples each had, one had a failure, one had a threat, which is going to cancel out one of my setback dice and one of my yellow dice. So, uh, and then my uh, other yellow die here that had... uh, Two or had a success and an advantage on it, so I am left with a single yellow die with two advantage. So you failed, but you have advantage. I, I failed, but I have advantage. And oh. damn it, my 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 uh, essentially my threat or my uh, setback die from fans uh, is what what kicked off me not succeeding the final. Oh, you know. really? Okay. Yeah. So then I believe, so I think how the narrative will go on this is you, you, you found a place, but, um, maybe a little too public. Okay. Because she's recognized by right. somebody. So. Go-go is. Okay. So <laughs> there's going to be complications for her to be involved in the meeting. Because of it her, it feels like stats. it. Yep, you think so, right? Right. All right. Well, I would like to then take the uh, the makes. If my crew is going to be doing the meeting without me, I would take the um, 
to advantage, and yeah. I would use it to encourage and give all of my notes and everything to the person who's going to be running it. Essentially, mechanically, giving that player a boost die for the meet. Yep. When that happens, cool. Yep. So she won't. She'll she'll choose not to go there then. Cool. Yeah, she'll just choose not to go along, and instead she'll pass a boost die. Perfect, man. Instead, she, let's okay. say let's say we decided to do this in a bar, mm-hmm. um, a club, a nightclub, and instead of me going to the meeting with all my friends, I stay out on the dance floor and draw attention to myself. Although, ooh, there you go. Perfect. That's cool. I like that. I like that. All right. Well done, man. Well done. Yeah, not exactly the, you know, the most discreet place, but hey. <laughs> hey, it is what it is, man. When you fail the streetwise, you fail the streetwise. <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. All right, so man. Maybe they're at a table in the back of the bar or something, you know, or back That's of the club. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm yeah. thinking. And then you're just kind of whoop, whooping it up, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm recognized. Well, all right, whatever. Everybody, right. look at me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I just take advantage of that and let them take over the meeting and... Mm-hmm. and Move on. Perfect. So. All right. Sounds good, man. Well, oh. that's about it. Well, shall we Shall we end this thing? Sure. All righty, everybody. Well, hey, that was the show. That was, um, you know, the primordial, primordial peeps. <laughs> All right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'd like to give a shout out to the RPG Brewery with Jamie and Stefan, who do um, interviews, live plays, discussions about anything and everything, role playing. Um, what are they? Ca- do they have something coming up on Tuesday? In a couple days? I think they do. You got an interview with somebody. He's got an interview remember. with somebody. I can't remember. But on live, but we're doing a live plays. Um, on Thursday night, I'm running um, Jewel of Yavin for the crew. And actually, the first session went pretty good. Man, there are so many damn NPCs in that in that adventure. <laughs> Holy crap, dude. <laughs> well, making a cheat sheet was a smart idea. Wasn't oh. it, though? Yeah, I also made a couple of Excel spreadsheets, too, so I can actually do a couple of the encounters, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Nice. Which will help with that, yeah. So, yeah, so there on, you could find him, you could find the RPG Brewery out there on the YouTubes, Google Plus. No, not on Google, yeah, probably Google Plus still. Um, Nerds International, the Maywees, and yep. everywhere else. I, they have a, he has a Patreon. They have a yeah, Patreon. Yeah, and on that Patreon, he just added a new tier. Uh, he added oh. a $10 a month tier, where if you sign up to be one of those people in it, uh, on the third Wednesday of every month, he will run a role-playing session for you. Cool. Yeah, so find that at the Patreon. So if you're... www.patreon.com slash the RPG Brewery. Yeah, and, and I'm like pretty that. sure if I know Jamie, there's some quite a few of those are going to be Genesis. He may run other things. I know he loves Deadlands, so he's probably going to run yeah. some Deadlands. He loves Call of Cthulhu. He'll probably run some Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I guarantee he's going to run some Genesis, too. He probably So if you are a fan of the RPG Brewery and you haven't decided to go ahead and be a Patreon subscriber to him, that's the thing you might think about. I mean, if, especially if you're hurting for a game. I was thinking about it. I can't do it because I have a biweekly commitment every Wednesday. Yeah, you do. And, <laughs> uh, running Star Wars for my homies. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> so oh, yes. Uh, but uh, anyhow, he's also got the Twitch TV uh, live. Yep, on Twitch TV slash the RPG Brewery. That's where we're going to be doing. I think we do that on. I think it's um, a nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time, six o'clock Real People Time. He says, which is on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So, and I think the interviews. I think on Tuesdays. Happens at the same time, I believe, as well. On Tuesday nights. Every other Tuesday, I think he has that show going. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, you can... Yeah, you can get a hold of them over at uh, Nerds International on the Mayway. You can get a hold of us there. You could also email us at findingthenarrativepodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Send us your uh, species if you want. Uh, and uh, you can get a hold of me on Facebook. Uh, others have gone that avenue before. I always just screenshot that and show it to Chris Yep. and then uh, you can get a hold of us still over on the G plus we're there but not often um, still getting notifications if someone tries to get a hold of us over there yep. um, uh, nerds international uh, and finding the narrative on the MeWe, and mm-hmm. you can tell your friends to listen to us on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube and Google play okay. so with that being said Thank you very much. This is Tony saying, keep rolling them bones. And this is Chris saying, remember the rule of cool and just have fun, everybody. Good night. Adios. Finding a Narrative podcast is not affiliated with or endorsed by any companies mentioned on the show. Any of the products mentioned on our show or appear on our website are the property and copyright of their respected owners. All items are used under fair use and educational and review purposes. All other items are the intellectual property of Finding a Narrative podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.